turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. With a reasonable answer for the hope that lies within us, this is Contending for the Faith with Dr. Jerry Buckner. And now, to introduce Dr. Jerry Buckner, here's Gary Bell. Well, good evening and welcome to another exciting edition of Contending for the Faith. We're the cutting-edge Christian apologetic ministry addressing the issues and challenges facing today's church. For the next hour, with your host, Bay Area pastor, lecturer, counselor, professor, and expert on the cults, Dr. Jerry L. Buckner. Well, believe it or not, we have come to part 24 of our series on the doctrine of the Trinity. This essential doctrine of the Christian faith is one of the most controversial teachings in the Bible. The doctrine of the Trinity has been maligned going all the way back to the Arian heresy under Arius Alexander. So the big question is, why is there so many people confused about this, particularly in the churches? Well, for the answer to this and much, much more, stay tuned, for we are not pretending. We are contending for the faith. Dr. Buckner, how are you tonight? Uh, Brother Gary, I'm truly blessed, and uh, thank you so much for that introduction. We appreciate your patience and uh, diligence in being with us, and we want to encourage you to uh, get you a uh, pen and paper and get you uh, a Bible uh, and prepare to take some good notes uh, because you're entering into uh, a Bible teaching time and uh, like a uh, seminary-type teaching. And so uh, I want to bring this to your attention. Remember always, when it comes to Trinitarian texts, um, it should be uh, used last uh, after you first demonstrate uh, your faith in the Trinity itself, just the the basis of your faith first. In other words, uh, you need to, first of all, demonstrate from the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, that there is only one God. You need to be able to demonstrate that. And that's what uh, this series is all about. You know, it's been all about that in this entire series, uh, especially starting off with the series, uh, we demonstrated that. So the first thing is you want to demonstrate from uh, the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, that there is only one God. Secondly, you want to demonstrate from the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, that the one God is called Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct persons called the one God. Then uh, you want to thirdly, uh, and lastly, you want to demonstrate that uh, the three distinct persons in the Trinity, or the Godhead, from Genesis to Revelation, you want to demonstrate uh, the Trinitarian uh, checks. That's what you want to do. And uh, so uh, tonight uh, we want to continue to talk about uh, Trinitarian texts as it relates to uh, the biblical word sanctification. 
the biblical word sanctification. Remember, I dealt with that last uh, Saturday uh, from 1 Peter 3 and 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks of you a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. In other words, uh, the word sanctify is mentioned first there, which a lot of us, when we talk about apologetics and giving answers, we don't ever think about uh, first and foremost, and we've never been, or many of us have never been taught, that you got to live a set-aside, uh, holy life in order for God to use you. Uh, if you're living an unholy life, it doesn't matter how knowledgeable you are and how many answers you have. Uh, you can win arguments and lose souls, and you can also be a turnoff because it's important for you to be walking in holiness and righteousness. Now, uh, the uh, trivia question for you tonight is this. When it comes to the biblical word sanctification, uh, who sanctifies us as Christian believers? Now, that's a good question. When it comes to sanctification, who sanctifies us as believers, uh, Christian, as Christian believers? Well, let me lay out uh, to you uh, three points on this. Actually, it will be four points, but I want to lay out, uh, start off with three and then give a four point uh, with this. Number one, God the Father sanctifies uh, believers or Christians. How do we know that? Well, we know it from Jude 1 and 1, uh, where it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified, there is a word, to them that are sanctified by who? God the Father. Notice it says God the Father. It says by or the Father. And uh, preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Now, Jude uh, was also the half-brother of Jesus, and he was an unbeliever uh, before the crucifixion and resurrection. And after the crucifixion and resurrection, uh, his brother uh, became a believer. But his half-brother uh, denied Jesus as the Messiah, and then later on, he became a believer, got saved, and then he got sanctified. You know, it's interesting how once you get saved, if you walk in the Spirit, God will sanctify you. Those are the two S. Get, you get into salvation, and the second S that follows is sanctification. Now, it uses the word preserve, you know, and preserve in Jesus Christ and call. Now, anybody that tries to say that the Bible doesn't teach the security of the believer, you don't listen to that. Because if you are a true believer, born again, you are preserved in Jesus Christ and called. See, so that's important for you to know, just that word preserve. And uh, you are preserved and you are also protected. And, uh, and this was the God the Father, his plan of salvation uh, for you uh, before the foundation of the world. The God the Father is not only the creator uh, through Christ, but uh, he has also uh, a, the Savior of the world through Christ. And he has preserved all of us who are believers in the Father, and he completes that plan through 
salvation and sanctification. That's why Jude 24 and 25 says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, and to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion, forever. So he is able to preserve you, uh, save you, preserve you, and keep you. You remember Jesus said, uh, he said to keep them in the high priestly prayer in John 17. So the emphasis of the security of the believer and keeping the believer, they are secured with eternal life and only one type of life that God gives, and that's eternal life. And if you can lose it, then it's not eternal. I know there's some people who say, well, you know what? You can lose your salvation. I'll say, well, what Bible are you reading? You know, they say, well, what about people who've been in the church and they've fallen and they continue to fall? Well, they don't, they, they've not bared any fruit. I mean, a true believer is going to bear fruit. And even if they fall, they're not going to sin habitually. They're going to repent, just like David did. They're going to repent, just like the prodigal son. A true believer is not going to stay in the pig's pen if they're true sheep. And that uh, you know, prodigal son, he got out of the pig's pen. He realized, I'm not a pig, I'm a sheep. And he came back home to his father. And that's what a true believer will do. Secondly, God the Son also sanctifies. That's interesting. God the Father sanctifies. Now we're going to learn, secondly, that God the Son also sanctifies the Christian believer. You say, where is that, Dr. Buckner? Well, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, it says, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are, now watch this, are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be not ain'ts, but saints, with all that is in every place called upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. So here again, the word sanctified is used again uh, towards all believers and who are called to be saints, not called to be holier than thou, so-called saints, or think that they are perfect and that they are sinless. No, uh, we are called by Christ as saints, and uh, we should walk in that sanctification. Now, thirdly, also, God, the Holy Spirit, also sanctifies the Christian believer. You say, where is that, Dr. Buckner? Well, hold on tight to your seat so you can find out where it's at. Write down Romans 15 and verse 16. Romans 15 and verse 16. I like to always repeat things two times. You know, a good teacher will do that because I don't want to go too fast when I cause you to miss something that's the meat of the word. So, Romans 15 and verse 16. It says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So here we see, now watch this, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Even here we learn that God, the Holy Spirit, also uh, sets us apart from sin, and makes us holy through the power and the transformation of uh, our lives through the Word of God. And that's important for us to know. Now, let me say this fourth point, and lastly, 
the word sanctification, the word sanctification is mentioned with all three distinct persons of the Godhead in one verse of scripture. And even though this one verse of scripture is talking about the Holy Spirit sanctifies, it is interesting to me that in this one verse of scripture, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are all mentioned in this one verse. First Peter chapter one, verse two. First Peter chapter one, verse two. It says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. Now notice, God the Father through the sanctification of, notice, the Spirit, number two, unto obedience and sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ, number three, grace unto you and uh, peace be multiplied. Now, that's something that you should be praying for. You ever prayed in your prayers that, that God's grace uh, and peace would be multiplied in your life? God is a God of multiplication. He uh, multiplies things. He's a God of addition. <laughs> and he's also a God of subtraction. That's a three-point sermon right there. Uh, you know, and uh, I want God to continue to multiply, my friend. I want him to continue to add and not subtract. But a lot of times when you're not living a holy, righteous life and being living in that sanctification, he can subtract all the blessings away from you. Remember Job said, the Lord giveth. And the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the, the Lord. Now, things equal to the same things are things equal to each other. Now, I'm going to close in, in giving a prayer of repentance. I want you to repeat after me. Dear Lord, forgive me for not walking in that sanctification. I ask, Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit. Empower me to be set aside from sin in my life, the flesh and the world and the domination of Satan. Fill me, Lord, so I can walk in your grace and multiply your grace in my life and your peace in my life. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Brother Gary. All right, well, it's time for us to take that commercial break. We'll be right back with more of Contending for the Faith. You're listening to Contending for the Faith on AM 1100 KFAX, the spirit of the Bay. Welcome back to Contending for the Faith with your host, Bay Area Pastor, Lecturer, Counselor, and Expert on the Cults, Dr. Jerry L. Buckner. And once again, we just want to thank all of you who have been praying for this ministry. It is so important. This is a prayer-driven ministry, and uh, we know that the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much because we're still on the air almost 20 years on the air. So we thank you for those prayers. And we also thank those of you who have generously stepped up to the plate to partner with us financially. This is a listener-supported ministry, and uh, we are just so blessed and so appreciative of so many people who have generously given to Contending for the Faith. We thank you so much. Right now, we are completely caught up, and that's a great, great testimony to your generosity to your mercy, to your grace, and to your obedience to what God is calling you to do. And so we just want to encourage you. We still uh, have a 
need of $57 toward next weekend, but we know God's going to move in a mighty way and that will be covered too. And we just can't thank you enough. There's two ways that you can donate. Uh, The first way is simply address a check or money order to Contending for the Faith, P.O. Box 553, Tiburon, California, 94920. That's Contending for the Faith, Post Office Box 553. Tiburon is spelled T-I-B-U-R-O-N, California, 94920. And the second way is so much easier. Just go online to contendingfaith.org. That's contendingfaith.org and click on the donate button and you will be a blessing for time and eternity. We also want to remind you that if you've missed any of this series on the doctrine of the Trinity, you can go to kfax.com and go to the webpage and you'll see our podcasts available there. And so you can go and listen to all the podcasts from all of our uh, broadcasts, including the ones on the Trinity and get caught up and also explore and see other topics that you may have an interest in uh, hearing about. So we want to encourage you to take advantage of that resource, tell others about it so that they can also um, take advantage of it and listen to the podcast as well as let them know about the, the live broadcast every Saturday night. All right, Dr. Bunker, are you ready to go to the callers? Let's do that, Brother Gary. Sounds okay, good. sounds good. Let's go to Sophia. She has a continuation of a question from last week. Sophia, how are you doing? Oh, I tell you, before I get to my question really, really fast, I go around to work. I'm driving them crazy, but it's working. I say, say, Sophia, why are you in such a good mood? I said, because we are not pretending. We're contending for the faith. So they love that. <laughs> and so now one actually has a T-shirt, but they leave out the faith part. But I'm working on Oh, we're not pretending. We're contending like Muhammad Ali. I said, look, Muhammad Ali was pretty. He did the rope-a-dope, but he didn't create the heaven and earth or mankind. So if you join me on happy hour, 7 to 8 Saturday night, the real happy hour, you'll find out about contending for the faith. So I hope <laughs> some of my coworkers are listening. Okay. Amen. Amen. Well, we're so glad that you, you called back. And again, and thank you for those really encouraging words. And we hope that they do uh, tune in. You know, I wanted to continue to talk about uh, your question that we never got a chance to get to yeah. from Matthew chapter 3 and verse uh, 12. Uh, This seems to be uh, in the minds of so many Christians, a very uh, confusing verse of scripture. And you had said, uh, I don't understand this. It's very confusing. But let me, uh, by the grace of God and spirit of God, try to take some fusion out of confusion here. So in Matthew chapter three and verse 12, let me read that. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. Now, mm-hmm. let me just say this, uh, give you a little background on this here. Uh, there was a, a, a tool that was used, it's called the windowing, windowing. Uh, and uh, it, it was an agricultural method of development, developing things in ancient culture for uh, separating grain from shaft. Uh, that was a thing that they did. So uh, when we talk about uh, Matthew 3 and 12, this window dowling was uh, a fan uh, that was like a tool 
used for tossing grain into the wind so that the shaft is blown away. Uh, so John the Baptist, uh, like the prophets of Israel's, Israel's history, called the people to repent of their sin and uh -huh. to live a life of faithfulness to God. We need to do that today. Uh -huh. And unlike those others, his message was that the Messiah, who would bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth, was near. So the Messiah would baptize those who followed him with the Holy Spirit and with fire, but he would also bring judgment on those who did not follow him. So when you get that word judgment with fire, it's uh, uh, related to those who would be judged for rejecting him. So when we look at verse 12, uh -huh. uh, John the Baptist here declares that the one to come after him, the Messiah, will come with a fork in his hand. Question, what is this uh, a fork? Uh -huh. Well, the answer is the fork was used to toss uh, freshly harvest wheat into the air where uh -huh. the useless shaft would be blown clearly by the wind. The heavier wheat would fall back to the ground and be gathered up. So in John's metaphor here, this is the metaphor and understanding the metaphor. The wheat represents those who repent and follow Christ, while the shaft represents and symbolizes those who reject Christ. Oh. And John the Baptist declares the un unbeliever will burn with unquenchable fire, referring to eternal judgment of God's wrath mentioned in the Old Testament prophets, even Isaiah 34 and 10 and Jeremiah 7 and 20. Uh, as well as Matthew 5 and 29. So I tried to break that down the best I could, and hopefully that will give you some a greater insight because that's what a good teacher does uh, to try to take uh, what seems to be puzzling and try to make sense out of it. Hopefully I was able to do that by the Spirit of God. Absolutely. It is clear as bell now so thank you so much and also dr buckner maybe next week you could repeat that prayer you started with that was so fabulous and you're you were so clear tonight to explain matthew 12 so god bless you both well god bless you and thank you always for calling and always uh, encouraging word thank you so much too. god bless you goodbye bye-bye all right let's go to uh germaine he's waiting brother germaine how you doing Oh, I'm doing very well. All right, brother. Good to hear your voice. And uh, we did. Were you able to get the uh, stuff that we sent out to you, the CDs and everything? Oh yeah, I sure did. And I already started on um, some of the Walter Martin information. My my friend was very, very blessed by by uh, his package. He, he was just you know just wonderfully surprised. It just kind of lit a fire under his face because he's he's not used to actual uh, pastors caring about him. You know, unfortunately, you know, coming mm -hmm. from the background of where he was. But, yeah, thank you very much. You you got it. You got it. And sounds like you have another question around the Jehovah's Witnesses. And what's, what is that, my brother? Well, um, in doing my study, I, I found, like, one of the best uh, tools I could use was actually talking to and listening to people who have left that uh, cultist religion and, and, 
uh, some of the stuff they have to say is pretty shocking. You know, some and one guy I know was actually was an elder, spoke to thousands of people over in uh, the San Francisco area, and he left. And I noticed one of the most powerful tools they use to control is disfellowshipping. And I noticed a lot of people are, that's almost like a taboo word or subject. They don't even like to go there. But I noticed also that uh, one of the uh, elder who actually was at their, uh, what they, I guess they call Bethel, he actually had brought up a point that he found old Watchtower material where they actually had accused other religions of misusing disfellowshipping and saying it wasn't even biblical, and then all of a sudden they switched their position. And if you even have that particular uh, Watchtower magazine, you, you might get disfellowshipped yourself. I was just curious, because it's obvious to me that this is a control technique, but it differs from what I've read biblically in, in uh, Corinthians. I just want to hear your breakdown of the proper way, uh, I guess, when they were, they were referencing Paul talking to the Corinthians on how you would kind of distance yourself from a brother or sister who's not necessarily authentically walking in the faith. But what's the difference between true biblical disfellowshipping versus what the Jehovah's Witnesses are doing? Yeah, well, well, first and foremost, that's a that's a real good question that you mentioned, because the the whole idea and the major difference would be that when we talk about uh, the Christian fellowship, it is never about brainwashing and uh, that sort of thing, brainwashing and control, uh, you know, because the Paul says that. We have the spirit of liberty, and that's the joy of being in the fellowship with God and each other. And it's a love that does not uh, take it to that level of brainwashing and that sort of thing. Uh, the, the, the cults and Jehovah's Witnesses uh, have a terrible means of fellowship, even though they uh, have it where uh, they say we love each other more so than any other uh, church or organization. Well, uh, yeah, that's not true because uh, if they did, they would not only give people the freedom uh, to choose uh, liberty, but they would do it in the way of following Christ because Christ is true love. And there's no way that you can have a genuine fellowship without Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the heart of fellowship and the heart of truth. The only time that that uh, disfellowship happened in the early church is when people became apostate and they were living uh, into idolatry and immorality. Well, the Jehovah's Witnesses have it where uh, if you don't do everything that they say and believe in the Jehovah that they teach and believe in the doctrines that they teach, you will be disfellowship and then you will be banned and then you will never be able to come back. With the Christian fellowship, it's just the opposite. You know, when you sin, what, what uh, John says in 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the compassion and the love and the opportunities for you to come back. And even, even the guy that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 
that was living an immoral life, uh, living uh, that immoral life, he ended up repenting uh, in Second Corinthians, and he was restored back. And then look at David. He was restored back. But if you go up against the Jehovah's Witnesses hierarchy and you have a differences of opinion, then you're just banned. And one of the things that I, I, I even though I didn't agree with Malcolm X, Malcolm Little, uh, the one thing that was unique about him is that he knew how to think for himself. And all the a lot of the people that were involved with the Muslim religion, a black Muslim, they were brainwashed, just like in the Joe Witnesses. And Malcolm X started thinking for himself, and and that's the thing that got him into a world of trouble. So, so it, it is a major difference. I think the main breakdown is that we have Christ at the center of our fellowship. And who do they have at the center of their fellowship? They have, uh, you know, Charles Taze Russell, Judge Franklin Rutherford, Nathan Knorr, Frederick Franz. So those men are the center of their fellowship. And whatever they say goes. And if you don't go by that, you get banned. Well, it doesn't happen with us because we got a loving Savior that's a, a forgiving Savior. And I think we need to bring those points out. Look like we have about a minute. Gary, you want to add to that as well? Yeah, I would just say that, you know, I know of churches that you have to be careful of uh, because they profess to be Christian uh, in their denomination and, 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 and what they say. But the reality is they're practicing cultic uh, techniques you know, very similarly trying to control people. And if you find yourself in a situation where you're not encouraged to think for yourself, but just take things as they are. And if people are trying to get you to do some specific things and uh, uh, otherwise you can't be there, you're, you're in the wrong place. You just, you got to be very careful um, about situations and what people are trying to do. Absolutely. So we, we have the spirit of liberty, Jermaine, mm -hmm. and, and they have the spirit of bondage and control and dictatorship. And that is the major differences between the two. So hopefully that's kind of helped to give a little more insight to what you asked. And uh, we, we appreciate that good question. Yeah, that helps me out a lot, man. I really appreciate you guys having a very thorough answer. So thank you. You got it. And keep uh, up the good work uh, on the Joe Witnesses and research and any other questions you have, uh, call us. We always love your questions and appreciate you. All right. God bless. Well, it's time for us to take a commercial break. We'll be right back with more of Contending for the Faith. You're listening to Contending for the Faith on AM 1100 KFAX, the spirit of the Bay. Welcome back to Contending for the Faith with your host, Bay Area Pastor, Lecture Counselor, and expert on the cults, Dr. Jerry L. Buckner. If you need prayer, we're here to pray with you. Um, if you have questions, we're here to answer those questions. And once again, we want to thank all of you who have been praying for Contending for the Faith and all of you who have partnered with us financially to keep this ministry on the air. It's a listener-supported ministry, and it is a prayer-driven ministry, and we need both of those components at work to keep things going. It costs us 400 a week to remain on the air, and we're thankful that 
This week we are caught up. We are, we're going to need about $57 toward next week, uh, but we know and we're confident God will uh, supply. But we just want to encourage you. There's two ways that you can donate and be a blessing to what God is doing here at Contending for the Faith. First way is address a check or money order to Contending for the Faith. Post Office Box 553, Tiburon, California, 94920. That's Contending for the Faith, Post Office Box 553, Tiburon is spelled T-I-B-U-R-O-N, California, 94920. The second way is so much easier. Just go online to contendingfaith.org, contendingfaith.org. Click on the donate button and you will be a blessing for time and eternity. We also want to remind you that uh, you can go to kfax.com and listen to any of our podcasts from uh, our show particularly if you've missed any of the episodes on the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, they're all there and you can listen to those. You can tell your friends about them. You can get caught up. Plus there's tons of other topics and uh, important doctrinal teachings there as well that you can take advantage of. So we just want to remind you, check check out our podcast at kfax.com. Dr. Buckner, you ready for the next caller? Yes, let's do that, Brother Gary. Okay, Brother CC has some homework from last week that he needs you to grade. Brother CC, <laughs> how you doing? Hey, how you guys doing? Oh, we're truly blessed. <laughs> truly blessed. We're just uh, kind of a blessing every time we come on the air every Saturday. And uh, to do justice to you, uh, we know, I know that I gave you uh, an assignment. Uh, if you can uh, do a Reader's Digest condensation in two minutes and let us know what you came up with, we'll sure appreciate it. And any additional stuff, uh, feel free to write up that and send it to us. We'll be greatly appreciative. All right, why don't you go go for it and, and, and uh, we'll see what you have. Well, first of all, God commanded Moses 1,500 years before um, Christ came to bring the Ten Commandments down Mount Sinai. And so he wrote the two Ten Commandments on uh, two tables of stone. And one of the first commandments was, you shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not uh, bow down to them or make any graven images. And that's the first thing that the Israelites did. They, they did the very opposite of what he said to do. And they made a golden calf. And they began to worship it, and, and God's righteous indignation rose up in Moses, and Moses broke the Ten Commandments, which was a symbol, symbolic of them breaking their covenant relationship with God. The covenant is a legal binding contract between two parties that should not be broken. And oftentimes in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you would see that God, what he would do is he would bring other nations to chastise uh, the disobedience of the Israelites when they were disobedient. So when you look at um, Isaiah chapter 7, you see that Isaiah in the 8th century B.C. had prophesied about 700 years before Christ came that the Assyrians would come in and they would bring destruction upon the land. Well, in 722 B.C., the Assyrians came in, they bring destruction on their horses and their swords were drawn. Women were pregnant who were, had their babies whipped out of their room. It was desolation on the land. And then in 605 B.C., when you move up, Nebuchadnezzar came in and he overthrew Jerusalem. Jerusalem was uh, taken into captivity for about 70 years, and he had desecrated the temple. And 
um, they they were to be in captivity for seven years because of their perpetual disobedience. And then the, um, the um, temple that was built by Solomon in 957 B.C. was all destroyed destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. because of Israel's perpetual disobedience. And Jeremiah prophesied in Jeremiah 25:11 that for 70 years that they would go into captivity, just as it was mentioned in the book of Daniel, for the, from them violating 77. And then when you fast forward, uh, it, it's Isaiah 45. Isaiah prophesied that um, Cyrus would come in 150 years before he came in, and he would overthrow the um, overthrow Babylon, which that was prophesied, and that happened in Daniel chapter five when Belteshazzar built uh, had a drunken party, and the five fingers of death came upon him, and it was prophesied in Daniel chapter seven also that Alexander the Great would rise up and that he would overthrow the Persians, which took place. Alexander uh, ruled between three um, three twenty three and 336 B.C., and he brought Greek philosophy and culture to the, um, to the, to the world. And he conquered the, most of the Middle East in about a four-year period, and he conquered the Persians in 334 B.C. Um, at the River of Granicus. And that prophecy was filled. And then, as I, as I close out, when we go to Daniel chapter 11, then we see that um, Antiochus Epiphanes had rose up in 175 B.C., between 164 B.C., and he brought desolation upon the land of Israel because of their petrol fizzle beings. He, um, he, he changed the name of Yahweh to the God, uh, to uh, Zeus Olympus, and said that's who we worship. He also had them to, to offer pigs to Zeus, and he prohibited the right of circumcision, Sabbath days, and festivals, and he also desecrated the temple and caused the abomination to come desolate, which Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 24. Um, by slowing a pig on the altar, he plundered um, the te- temple treasury. He left behind a series of troops that uh, caused a reign of terror in Israel for about three years because of their perpetual obedience. As I close out, we understand also that um, during that time, the Maccabean revolt that came in 167, when Modian, 20 years, 20 miles from Jerusalem, they went around having people to, to um, bow down to them and to engage in public page worship, and that was a, a great thing to happen. And Mattathias rose up, and he overthrew them, and that's when the Maccabean revolt came. And then in 165, the temple that had been desecrated was re-consecrated and dedicated by, through Judas Maccabus, who took after his father had died. And then they celebrated the, the oil they burned for eight days which was called um, the Feast of Life, the Feast of Dedications, was mentioned in John 22, and the oil burnt for eight days miraculously, even though they didn't have enough oil to, to clearly have it done. And that was, that was um, the rededication of the temple. And very the good, world, very good. We, we have to stop you right there because we have to be sensitive to the other callers. But good job. Good job. Yeah, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm I'm finished. Yeah, I'm touched by... Your uh, research and what you've done, but in in terms of the callers, we have to be sensitive to them as well. Uh, but what were you saying? Oh, oh, no, I was I was actually at the end when when you right before you said I was just going to say the moral the moral story is that God. Okay, go ahead, is, go ahead and say the moral. The moral of the story is that God wants us to be holy and He wants us to live for Him and He have a moral obligation to live before God. And that's all I was going to say. I was already finished. Oh, good. Well, hey, that's a tremendous uh, research thing you did. Uh, we are really touched by your homework. Mm-hmm. Great really job. With that. Great job. And, uh, and, and then to conclude it with the moral, 
a good moral of the story. He wants us to be holy. And that fits into the teaching tonight on sanctification, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Yeah, so thank you, CC, for uh, your uh, great job and on the research. And we're going to uh, pick up your prayer request uh, uh, next time. We pretty much know a lot of times what you, you, you pray for, and we'll uh, try to remember those things in our prayer requests for you. No problem. I try to keep it short as I can. I was right, right, right before you said it. I was right there to finish. But I was trying to. I know I knew it was other callers going, so I was trying to go as quick as I can and within a two minute time. I went over a little bit, but I was. Well, you, did a, I you did a good job. We're we're totally we're totally impressed with you. Keep on studying, mm-hmm. my brother. Keep on doing a good job. We appreciate you. And, the and tremendous God. tremendous growth. Yeah, we've seen you really grow. We are touched by you in the Lord. God bless, brother. Keep up the good work. All right, let's quickly, uh, we have Brother Rick hanging on there. All right, Brother Rick, how are you doing? 2434. Okay. Uh, about uh, this, this generation shall not pass until mm-hmm. all, all these things are fulfilled. Are we talking about the generation today, or are we talking about generation back in time? Well, that's a really good question. This uh, word in Matthew 24 and 34, let me read it so the listening audience will uh, know what we're talking about. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 34, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now, uh, there are many people who interpret this from different perspectives. Uh, let me kind of give you a, 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 an answer in a nutshell so we can get, um, I believe, another caller in before the program ends. But um, when you, when you, um, if you talk to a preterist, uh, the preterist view, they put the, the word generation in only a historical framework, which doesn't fit the narrative here, the context, you know. And so they would put it in the context of this generation, the people that lived during that time. Uh, now, I differ, and I believe that this is referring to uh, the <clears throat> future generation, uh, even though he's, when he uses the word this generation, well, what generation is he talking about? Look at the full context, because Ore Tori said, a text taken out of his context becomes a pretext for error. So let's kind of look at the context for a moment. If you look at uh, number one, <clears throat> he mentions the abomination and desolation in verse 15. Number two, the persecution and judgments in verses 17 through 22. And then false prophets, uh, verses 23 through 26. The signs in the heavens, verses 27 through 29. Christ's final Return, verse 30, uh, and the gathering of the elect uh, in verse 31. Uh, This has not taken place. So when he talks about this generation, he's talking about the generation of people uh, that he's talking about in the whole context of the chapter. So this is is a very uh, misinterpreted uh, word, this generation. And you're going to hear various people say certain things, but look at the context. The context explains it. So hopefully that helps out, Brother Rick. No, I really appreciate it. 
You got it. Like and, we'll, and we and we'll get your prayer like next time. We're going to try to get to. Uh, uh, is it Craig? Uh, he has Craig. a question. Let's get to him. Thank you, Brother Rick, for your call. God bless. Craig, are you there? Yeah, thanks, um, guys. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. You have some of the smartest call. I need brain pills just to keep up with Cece there. But uh, <laughs> I got my question. Yeah, he should be a university professor. I, they need good professors these days. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, sure, I'm blessed, sure he's feeling I, blessed right now to hear that. Yeah, I know he's feeling yeah, blessed. Well, what's, your, what's, your, yeah, what's your question? Because we uh, we're running out of time. Yeah. I want to get right to your question. What's on your heart? Yeah. Well, Malcolm X, you mentioned, he's an interesting study. I don't know a whole lot about him. I was alive when, you know, he, he was around <clears throat> real young. But uh, where was he spiritually? I heard towards the end of his life he was maybe getting out of Islam. And I wonder what his relationship was with uh, Martin Luther King. And, you know, you want to hold over to next week on that. I don't know. Yeah, if yeah, this is this is. Uh... Let me kind of whet your appetite on that, uh, and then I want to hold over and continue this with you next week, and maybe if you call at the top, we can get you on right away. But let me say this. I am a professor. Uh, speaking of professor, I'm a professor through Gateway Seminary. Uh, it used to be yeah. a Golden Gate Seminary, and I uh, did, uh, not too long ago, did a class on the mission to the cults, and I covered the Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, the nation of Islam and the he black Hebrew Israelites. So I've been studying the nation of Islam for 50 years, but this is the point. Malcolm X came up in a, um, a Christian home. Um, the, uh, but I think his dad was leaning towards black liberation a little bit, but yet he was a minister and he ended up getting uh, uh, killed so as a Baptist preacher, and that turned Malcolm X off from a lot of the Christian churches uh, when uh, he went through that, as well as uh, he got killed by the Ku Klux Klan, but it still affected Malcolm X for to see that God would allow his dad to go through that. But uh, what happened was uh, when he got put into prison, he was into all sorts of criminal activity. When he was put into prison uh, there, uh, he... Uh, that was a big opportunity for the church to reach him, uh, but the churches have been always weak, a lot of them, towards reaching people in the prison. And so Elijah Muhammad was able to reach him in the prison, and they became a member of the Nation of Islam. But when he ended up seeing the immorality of Elijah Muhammad, he left it, and then he became a member of the Orthodox uh, Muslim. And... Uh, pretty much died with that view when he was assassinated at the Audubon Room uh, in New York. Hey, we are almost out, we're almost out of time. Call me back and uh, we'll pick up on this and I'll drop some more wisdom and knowledge on you on uh, Malcolm X. And you might want right. to read the autobiography of Malcolm X by Alex Haley. Uh, he was the one that did Roots and it's a really good one that I could recommend some more books. But we have to go right now but we look forward to your call next week and a good question brother gary all right well we've come to the end of tonight's exciting broadcast and we'd like to thank vince our engineer and you our listening audience for being part of tonight's program 
It's important for us to hear from you, your letters and cards, your encouragement to us. So please drop us a note and let us know how this program has blessed you. You can reach us at Contending for the Faith, P.O. Box 553, Tiburon, California, 94920. Please keep us in your prayers until next week at this time, when we once again give you the opportunity to ask questions, make comments, and dialogue with Dr. Buckner, always with one purpose in mind, to equip, exhort, and better enable you to contend for the faith. I'm Gary Bell. May God richly bless you. 